Welcome to 3AM, What's Keeping You Up at Night, a production of The McFarlane Group. This podcast provides impact stories from social impact nonprofit organizations from around the world. Today, we go a bit off script. First, I am joined by the brilliant summer intern working with relationary marketing, Jasmine Merriweather. She is a rising podcast star. You will hear it in her calm voice and interesting questions prepared for our very special guest. We had a blast co-hosting the very first in-studio taping of 3 a.m. What's Keeping You Up at Night in 18 Months. And finally, our guest, Yolanda, an alumna of the Nashville iconic recovery and reentry social impact nonprofit organization, Mending Hearts. She joins us to talk about her amazing journey to becoming the assistant clinical director at Mending Hearts and invites us all to the inaugural National Awareness Day Mending Hearts created to lift up all women who are touched by addiction. That's all women. There is so much to be inspired by in this podcast. Let's jump in. Yolanda, we are so excited to have you here at 3 a.m., What's Keeping You Up at Night. And we have Jasmine, who is the summer intern for Relationary Marketing. We are also, get ready for this, drum roll, please. We are also in, for the first time ever, the Chase Studio at the Nashville EC. So excited about that. And Clark is here as the studio engineer. And Clark has been helping me since March 2020 do this podcast from remote. He showed me through how he was doing it in the their closed closet and how I was doing it in my office closet with pillows. I think it was in a two by five kind of thing. So we're so excited to be here. It's absolutely gorgeous. If you're thinking about a podcast, call Clark and Relationary Marketing. So the cool thing today, we've got Yolanda here. So excited about that. And Jasmine's going to be joining us in this conversation. But why don't I just get it started? So Yolanda, you and I would never have met, right? Our paths just wouldn't have crossed except for this very special place where we both find ourselves pouring our hearts into. So would you kind of tee it up, the conversation, by talking about mending hearts? Sure. I love talking about Mending Hearts. So Mending Hearts is a substance abuse treatment facility here in Nashville. We're located in West Nashville. And we are a continuum of care program, basically meaning that the person seeking services for their addiction treatment can begin right with us in the detox level of care. And then they transition from detox to residential inpatient to our partial hospitalization PHP program, and then transition into intensive outpatient program into supportive housing. The really cool thing about Mending Hearts is as they are transitioning in these levels of care, we also provide housing for them. So where historically women would go into a residential inpatient for 28 days, then once the 28 days was completed, they went home or went outside of that program and went to outpatient centers to get their continuum of care. 
And a lot of these women were homeless, had co-occurring issues, maybe not healthy living environments, struggles with obtaining employment, just various things, which would prevent them from staying focused into their clinical treatment centers. And so what Mending Hearts does is it provides shelter, housing, healing in a community setting so they can live there, gain supportive services there, peer support services just support from all all around in the community there and still go to their IOP classes on campus or their PHP program on campus. So we have women that stay up to two years there. Wow. So you know an awful lot about it. It doesn't sound like it's really from that 30,000-foot view. It's more like, can you walk us through how well you know Mending Hearts? Yes. So I first heard of Mending Hearts when I was actually brought to their doorstep as a woman seeking recovery from substance abuse and some mental health struggles as well. And so I was a client at Mending Hearts, and that was 10 years ago, 11 years in October. And so I went through their full program. And once I completed their program, they assisted me in finding my own apartment here in Nashville, a recovery-based apartment program. And so I transitioned into my own apartment. And I lived there for about a year, and then I moved into fully independent housing on my own. I was at Mending Hearts 18 months. So the last eight months of Mending Hearts, I went started going back to school and obtained my associate's degree. After I transitioned out of Mending Hearts, I was out about two years, and they had a an employment position available. It was a third shift monitor. And so I went in and started to work there. And I went from third shift monitor to case manager assistant, to case manager, to admissions coordinator. Then it was time for me to complete my internship for my bachelor's degree. And so I sought an internship at another facility and actually went to work part-time at that facility and completed my bachelor's and then went and got my master's degree in clinical mental health counseling and then completed my master's degree and talked with Trina about, well, we've been in talks for a while, but just looking for the right time. And the time on April the 27th, the time was right for her to invite me back as the associate clinical director for the program. I'm so inspired by that. Yeah, so. You make it sound like, yeah, you know, like I went out and got milk and eggs and bread and, <laughs> you know, a couple of years later, now I'm there. But that's just, well, first of all, congratulations. Thank you. That's just amazing. So Jasmine, she loves to capture stories. Mm -hmm. So it would be fun for you if you've got some questions for Yolanda so we can kind of learn more about what took an awful lot of courage and resilience, but she kind of makes it like she just went to the store to go get some groceries. So can you help us now with the conversation? Yes. I just want to say, Yolanda, your story is so impactful, especially being a recent graduate of, of college and hearing about your story and weeping your education. I really commend you. It just screams resilience to me. So the first thing I would love to know is what is a piece of advice that someone gave to you that helped you as you worked your way through the recovery program and re-entered the world afterwards? Hmm. There was lots of advice. I was very, very blessed to be just surrounded with community, community at Mending Hearts, community at my church, community in the recovery community here in Nashville. So there was tons of advice. I think... The one that's just like coming to my mind just so clear is when you're in recovery, 
or when you seek recovery, once the substance is removed, then the issues really come out. The trauma, Mm -hmm. the mental health struggles, the inability to self-regulate, struggles with patients, struggles with time management, all that stuff begins to surface and it can be overwhelming. And so my first introduction into some resiliency actually is to be resilient in that and keep moving forward was actually someone told me, because I would say, I, I'm struggling managing my time, and, I, and I'm getting so upset, and I, I just don't think I can do this. And they just breathe, and they said, Yolanda, all that stuff, just take it. Don't, don't worry about changing it all. Don't worry about just putting it to the side and this new creature come out. You're you. Take you and put it to doing good. I love that. And good will come. And so maybe I struggle with some time management at the time, right? And so I just jumped in and just did good. Just do good. And the change will come. So just knowing that you don't have to change everything to change your life. You just have to make good decisions to do good things And the change will come afterwards. I heard somebody say who was in a, not the same kind of situation, but facing just some real despair that you don't have to wait for life to not be hard to enjoy it. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. And that sounds like just what you're saying. I love that. I think the world really wants us to grow and change, but it's very overwhelming. It's a very overwhelming process. So when you redirect your, your attention to what can I fix today? What one little small thing or what's one good thing I can do that will build on itself? And then it creates this ripple effect of goodness that you put out into the world. So I just love that advice that someone's given you and I'm going to take it for myself. <laughs> yeah, it's, pre- it's pretty powerful. Take some, for lack of a better word, weight off your shoulder because it's like, oh, okay, I don't have to be good to be here. Mm -hmm. You know, I just have to do what's good here, and the rest is going to come. I also like that you get to celebrate yourself. I mean, quite honestly, what an experience to have the courage to go through and have and set your mind to success, understanding I mean, you make it sound like it was really easy. My suspicion is it probably had some peaks and valleys like all things do, right? And so just that somebody edified you and said, no, 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 we're going to celebrate you. That's what's really important. I think that's great for everybody. Mm -hmm. It's certainly great for recent grads who are facing what adulting looks like. Yes. Um, But I, I really do appreciate that someone took the time to say, no, 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 it's you. It's you. It's not the disease. It's not the past. It's you at this moment. That's really empowering. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very empowering. Because a lot of times we find a lot of worth in our work and what we can do for others or ourselves. But like you alone are already worthy enough. Mm -hmm. So that's what it reminded me of. I love that. I love that a lot. Another thing that I'm just really curious about is if you were to go back in time and speak to yourself, a younger version of yourself, before going through the Mending Hearts program, what is something you wish you knew before going into it? Hmm. I would have to really take some time mm-hmm. to reflect to answer that one. Because at this space in my life, I'm learning how to embrace everything that was because it prepares you for what is. I love that. That's really well said. 
And I think we have a tendency, particularly with folks who are in recovery, and it's usually the folks who have never been in recovery, to disparage or be disappointed or how come or so that there was a cause and effect that's just based on behavior. And that does show that the ignorance of those who don't understand that walk. But what I think is empowering about just even this conversation here is it it's not just about this recovery and reentry, it is for everybody, which I think is something that's really important for us to remember, that addiction must absolutely suck. And I can't imagine all that you have gone through. But to see you right now sitting across the table and you're the clinical director for this amazing place that gives continuum of care, so it kind of gets it from the beginning to really having you all soar, what a great story that is. So Can you share a couple of those stories that were like really great stories and then maybe a really dark period so we could begin to understand what it means to be touched by addiction? Yeah. So there are several like not really specific instances. I think one of the really struggles for me in early recovery literally was navigating the Nashville bus system. Okay. I come from rural West Tennessee. And so we didn't have a metro bus transport system. And so when I came here to Nashville and about 45 days in, you know, I had to seek employment. And so literally what you did is you got on the bus and you put in applications everywhere and really trying to navigate that I would get on the bus and go to like a job interview and I would sit down and it would be wet. And I'm (gasps) like, did somebody spill water? And the lady goes, No, that's where the homeless population will ride the bus all hours to stay warm. Mm. And I'm like, what? (laughs) And I just remember like, well, I don't even want to be here anymore. And so just, you know, really navigating the bus system. And I remember one time in particular, I had went to get a, um, was hired to work at a local restaurant, rode the bus. It was cold. And I was hungry. I mean, we had food at Mending Hearts, but just had been out all day, and I didn't really have the money to go, like, buy anything. So I'd ate breakfast before I left and went in, put some applications, and I was supposed to go to a job interview. I was putting other applications, but then I had an interview scheduled. So I went to this interview at this local restaurant, and they interviewed me, and I told him, I said, hey, you know, I'm in recovery, and when you run my background, the will be some things on my background. I don't know if it would affect the job. And he's like, oh, no, we support that here. And so he went ahead and he hired me. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I got the job. And I was just really struggling. I'll never forget this. It was December the 17th, 2010. And so I was like, oh, I got the job. So I went back to Mending Hearts where I was living, and I called a family member. And I was like, I got a job. And they're like, we're so proud of you. We will buy your uniform." And so they had went and bought the uniform that the restaurant required us to wear. And on December the 17th, I was supposed to be there for orientation to this job. Never forget this. So I pull up, and it's cold outside. And I got off the bus, went into the orientation. And as I was sitting there filling out the paperwork, there's a little section in their paperwork that asks specific questions to see if they might qualify for a tax break, like if you had been incarcerated or had any criminal charges on your background. And so I was like, well, I told him about it, but 
I got confused, but I wanted to be honest. So the lady that was doing our orientation, I called her over and I said, how would I check this? Because in my interview, I told him, but he didn't write it down on my paper. And she said, oh, well, let me find out. So she took my paper and she went and she comes back out and she says, and there's a whole group of people that was hired on that day. And she said, I'm sorry, ma'am, but you're not going to be a good fit here. Oh, my goodness. I was fighting back tears. Like, I just was like, I've been trying so hard to get this job. And I just, so I just got my stuff and I walked out of the back through the kitchen, through their big dining room. And I just felt like everybody was watching me. And I walked out and sat out on the bench, which is where the bus runs. And again, it was really cold. And I just missed the bus. So the next one would come by. I had to wait 45 minutes. And so I'm sitting there waiting on the bus and I'm crying and I'm like, I just, I'm not going to be able to do this. This city's too big. There's just too much. My background's going to prevent me from succeeding. I'm just, it's not going to work. And at Mending Hearts, you have so long to get a job and start paying your fees. Now, if they see you're trying, they'll work with you. But I'm starting to stress out, and I'm like, I haven't gotten a job by my required time. I'm going to get thrown out. And it's just, I mean, it was horrible. And so I got on the bus, and I rode the bus from Charlotte down to the MTA. The bus was pulling in, and, and I was looking, and there at the MTA is a seating area where you can sit and wait on your bus. And a guard that was working at MTA had walked to the seating area. I could see him as I was pulling in. And he went, and he was motioning for some people to come out. And it was a man who was homeless. And he was telling him, you've stayed here, you've stayed here long enough. And I, I thought for a second, well, I get to catch the next bus to Mending Hearts, and I get to go into a warm room with plenty of food and roommates who care about me. And that moment, I didn't give up. I thought that was the only thing that kept me from just giving up. So I got back to Mending Hearts, and one of the girls called the apartment and she asked me, she goes, how was your first night? And I was like, they didn't hire me. And I was crying. And she's like, what? And everyone at Mending Hearts had went to a graduation ceremony that night. I had to miss the graduation ceremony to be at this job orientation. And so I'd missed the, that. And I was just, it was a lot that night. And I will never forget, I was sitting there, I was crying. And I was just like, I just don't think, I just don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. And then I heard a knock on the door. And it was one of the, all the girls had gotten back from this graduation party, and they all came up one at a time. And they're like, here's $5. You'll be okay. Do you need extra pack of cigarettes? And they're like, hey, I had extra Cokes. Just drink some Cokes, Yolanda. It was like one girl brought me some laundry detergent. She's like, my mom bought me some extra laundry detergent. It oh, was on no. sale. She goes, don't worry about like, And I'm like, wow. Yeah, so when you talk about these peaks and valleys, looking back, I can honestly tell you that even in the valleys was immediate peaks. So it was never really a stay. There was that moment I really just wanted to give up. And it's almost like you have resiliency, but it's like, for me, it seems like it can get, like you have this resiliency and maybe we're expected to maintain a level of resiliency, but that's not been the case for me. It's just, it starts lowering and lowering and lowering. And so it's looking out, seeing what will feed that resiliency for me. And that night it was those women. That's amazing story. I love that. Just the community that Mending Hearts provides. 
everybody walking in the same shoes. And so that's a different, that's a different kind of comfort. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful, beautiful story. Oh, I think resilience can get buried by everyone and anyone mm-hmm. throughout their entire life several mm-hmm. times. So to know that there's even that group there that pulled it out of you. I mean, it was mm-hmm. obviously there. That's a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing yeah. that. I just want to say again, like your story is just really touching me. Just the community. I feel like mm-hmm. a lot of people forget that you can build community in the hard moments. And that's what brings people together yes. most because that shows that human side that, you know, you can flourish as a human, but you also have your short- shortcomings or hard moments. And the fact that they rallied around you and gave up some of the things that they had. Yes. I feel like that's a beautiful imagery for Mending Hearts, and even for the Awareness Day that's coming up, um, Women Touched by Addiction. So my question to you, and that is, how important is it for you and others in the community to celebrate this day, Women Touched by Addiction? Oh, it's so important. It's so important. One of the themes of this day is really, and we've been really pushing this on social media, but it's like holding a finger up. Mm -hmm. And what that represents is we don't Stop pointing the finger, point the finger up in solidarity. Okay, so I love that. So let me say that again. So instead of blaming and shaming, it's lifting people up. I love that. With you and your leadership, the McFarland Group strengthens three core organizational components to secure the future that you imagine strategic planning, leadership development, and operational effectiveness. Our proprietary process creates a data-driven strategy for sustainability and growth founded on organizational management and behavioral sciences, maximizing your organization's current assets to realize your intended goals and outcomes. Let's find out how the McFarland Group can help you serve more. Go to our website at themcfarlandgroup.com. So this is the brainchild of you guys, um, April Douglas in particular, Mm -hmm. and on a specific day, Mm -hmm. the hope is that it goes national, like this this year. This is the first one, so we really want that support. It's July 23rd. That's so amazing. And so are there events? Are there... So we get the social media, like call out to everyone to go viral with their finger pointing up, mm-hmm. not not blaming and shaming. But are there events that are going to happen or it not, sounds like it's an awareness day. Is that for, kind of for what right it is? now it's awareness. Okay. Now we are hoping that it grows yeah. and who knows what God's going to do with it. But it'll be on July 23rd on the bridge. And so we're going to light, the bridge will be light up the pink and purple, which is the Mending Hearts colors. We'll have some t-shirts. I know they're going to have some food out there. And at this first year, it's really just getting it out there and everybody's showing up and just celebrating that we are women touched by addiction. And that doesn't have to be anymore that, okay, I'm just going to tell them that he's on break I'm just going to tell them that she needed a little time off. And I'm just going to tell them that she's having a little bit of struggles. No. This woman I love has been touched by addiction. I've been touched by addiction. But we're not going to let it define us. And we're not going to let it shame us. We're not going to let it knock our resiliency. What we're going to do is hold it and say, okay, this has affected us. Okay. And here's what we're going to do. 
Okay, so there was an entire voice change. Did you hear Sorry, it? I get no, really excited. Yes. I mean, that's so exciting. It really was. And it goes back to the very beginning where somebody said, take you and put everything into being you to make the world better. I mean, that's just amazing. What a great day. So besides the viral stuff that we can all hopefully do and share on social media, how important is this? And I think you touched on it, but how important is this for families? For the brother, the sister, the mom, the dad, the uncle, the grandfather, grandparent, you know, the entire family tree. How important it is for them to feel empowered by this release of, yeah, this is a part of our family's journey, and we're still in that journey. I mean, it's almost like releasing a valve of tension to say that we all belong to this human community And this is just some of the journey itself, right? That there's on-ramps and off-ramps and exits and stops and starts. And and so this is what we've experienced. What impact do you think it's going to have on families? Oh, I think it's going to empower them to really step forward because there's lots of services and programs out there for the family. I mean, there's Al-Anon, there's family therapy, there's so much out there. I even have where I attend services they have a Bible class called Freedom Prayer. And so a lot of people who have struggled with addiction within my church attend this Freedom Prayer. And it's about really just getting in there and understanding that in addiction, we can all be affected by it and how to break the chains of that. There's just lots of resources and services and all types of avenues for the family to heal. And I think this could be a great starting point for them to to really recognize like, hey, it's okay. It's okay that I've been touched by addiction. And most importantly, it's okay for me to get help for that, to get support for that. It's okay. Something that really got me in my feels is when I first made the post I'm on my social media, I made a post and I just kind of women touched by addiction um, and shared the post. And I was going to go and reach out to some of my family and let them know, hey, I put this, read it, share it, help me get the word out. And before I could, a family member of mine, um, I have a cousin, and I say cousin, but we grew up like brother and sister, uh, who is in recovery from addiction. And his wife has stood by him and just, I mean, stood by him. And so in my mind, I was thinking, oh, she can come to it too, because she was touched by addiction, although she hasn't struggled with addictions. She's definitely been touched by addiction. And as soon as I made that post, I was went to do something, and I thought, oh, I need to go send a, a group text out to my family and get them. Before I could, she had already posted her little one finger up. That's amazing. And I was like, yes, that's what we're doing right there. Yeah. It's to understand that it's a, it's a family mm-hmm. going through something and a community going through something. And you've certainly made it so that we feel part of your community, too, Yolanda. Is there anything else you might want to— Ask or learn about her story? Out of curiosity, if forever who's listening to the podcast right now, what is just something you want that person to know about your story of resilience and knowing that being touched by addiction is something that a lot of people go through and that it takes a community to help people heal? That's really good. You're good, Jasmine. (laughs) You get the brain to thinking. Um, I think most importantly, what I would want them to know is what I have found personally in my own life and my own story is a lot of the stigma 
was my own stigma to myself. Mm. So when I first came into recovery, again, there was this idea in my mind that you're going to judge me and you'll act this way and he's going to act this way. And I'm not, you know, like I'd already compartmentalized everyone based on what I thought their response would be to my struggles with addiction. And so what I came to find out was that most of the stigma was mine to myself. And so just learning to or just getting the word out there to women or anyone touched by addiction that a lot of times we're our own worst critic. Mm-hmm. And so we may feel others are criticizing, I say in air quotes, us or our life or what brought us to recovery. A lot of times it's us. And so just sharing in community and becoming aware that it's okay to not criticize ourselves for the addiction and celebrate ourselves for recovery. Celebration. I love that. Because mm-hmm. it's personally speaking, I don't do a good job celebrating and I feel other people don't, but you are worth celebrating. Yes. And I, I definitely agree. Yes. I have a book in my house that on one of my birthdays, a dear friend of mine that I actually met when I moved here to Nashville, she was a spiritual mentor of mine at where I attend worship service. And she had bought me a book for a birthday, and I still have it. And it's this girl on a bicycle, and it's just so cool. And the name of the book is Celebrating You. And it's it's written almost like a kid's book. Like you open it, and there's like a sentence, and it's about you, and you turn it, and it's about you. And this girl's on this bike ride through all these sceneries. And so, yeah, Celebrating You. We need to celebrate us. I don't think we could have said it any better. Yolanda, thank you so much for being with us. Jasmine, thank you so much. This was so much fun. We'll have to do it again. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Of course. (laughs) So, Women Touched by Addiction, Mm -hmm. July 23, Mending Hearts. Yes. A magical place that brings into the world or rebrings or rebirths into the world Mm -hmm. people like Yolanda who are determined to make the world better Mm -hmm. by sharing your story. Thank you for all of that. We are truly humbled by the stories that you have shared with us and the journey that you're on and know that we're here for you and so proud and happy for you. And we're very, very glad that you could come and tell us about Mending Hearts and about Women Touched by Addiction. Yolanda, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you to Yolanda and Jasmine for this amazing podcast. We hope Yolanda's story spoke to all of you. The date of Women Touched by Addiction is July 23rd forever. We are confident the celebration this July will touch off a national response in the years to come. And thank all of you for listening to this episode of 3AM, What's Keeping You Up at Night, a production of the McFarland Group. We return to our series, Pivot Through the Pandemic, with our next episode, featuring co-founder and returning guest, Dr. Julie Reese, to hear how day one early learning community followed their plan and secured their future success by confounding COVID. My name is Deb McFarlane Enright. My thanks to Jasmine and best wishes for an amazing career in wherever and whatever she chooses to pour her considerable talent into and to Relationary Marketing in their beautiful new studio, the Chase Studio at Nashville Entrepreneur Center. Thank you for your continued support. This is 3 a.m., what's keeping you up at night. Until next time.